my whole life changed. I went from being a person who was sort of like really uptight and anal and type A and couldn't stand having like dirty dishes in the sink to this person who was free. Like those things didn't bother me anymore. I was alive and happy and excited about something. I'd finally found a passion that I had wondered would ever exist for me. Hi, this is Daphne, and welcome to episode 10 of the Creativity Habit Podcast, conversations about art, creativity, and courage with artists, creatives, and makers. My guest today is an artist, writer, teacher, and a self-proclaimed possibilitarian. She began making art at age 30 and now has a hugely successful online business selling her art, her e-courses, and her internationally best-selling book, Taking Flight, Inspiration and Techniques to Give Your Creative Spirit Wings. She also has art in stores and gift shops all over the world, and she believes that art heals, we get to make our own rules and craft the exact life we want, and that when we do, we become fully alive. She is Kelly Ray Roberts, and you can find her over at kellyrayroberts.com. In this interview, we talk about designing your own creativity story, being an artist with no art experience, how to trust and follow your creative urges, and how to stay sane in the midst of motherhood, art making, and entrepreneurship. May you enjoy this conversation, and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Welcome, Kelly Ray, to the Creativity Habit Podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And I have been diving into your world over the last several days, getting to know more about you. And one of the things you talked about was not feeling creative, like that you didn't define yourself as creative as a child. And the way I I start interviews is with your creativity story as a child. Ah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about creativity and how it showed up for you as a kid and how you identified with it or didn't. Yes. Huh. You know, I did not identify as a creative child. It never occurred to me. Um, There were in my, from my, you know, childhood lens, there were people in my classes and friends that I knew that were, you know, were amazing artists because they could draw or they could paint. And I just didn't identify as that kind of creative person. And my older sister was also very, very creative. She was the artist of the family. And so I had this idea that there was only enough room in the family for one artist. So even I did, it never occurred to me that perhaps I was also a creative being. I knew that I loved like funky clothes and I liked lots of color and, and I had creative expression in other ways. I loved music. All my friends were artists. They were in the theater or creative writers, but I myself chose a decidedly non-artistic path once I got to college. So I, that is, I guess that is my creativity story of never really creating a narrative that I was a creative being until later in my life. 
And yet the narrative was being created in some ways for you because everything about your environment was screaming creativity, the way you dressed, yeah. the colors, the people that you were drawn to, what yeah. they were doing, all of it. So your whole, yeah. the world around you was saying, hey, this is your yeah. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My mom, we lived in homes that my mom beautifully decorated and, you know, she spent a lot of energy and time and intention around creating beauty in our homes. And that was important to her, but it was never uh, spoken about in the realm of creativity. It was spoken about in the realm of, ah, I don't know, just like a hobby, I guess. I, you know, and I, I will also tell you this story that when I was in high school and I was in the art class at our high school, one of our assignments was to do a blind contour drawing where you like close your eyes or you don't, you don't look, not close your eyes, but you don't look at the, at what you're drawing and you just look at the subject that you're drawing versus the paper. And a couple of weeks later, this gentleman came and was picking out student art for a show at a local art gallery in the city. And he picked one of my drawings and my art teacher <laughs> told me and she's like yeah I can, can you believe it I can hardly believe it <laughs> <laughs> so we get these like little subtle messages right from people who are or I did from people who are bona fide artists and so I just tucked those away into my little brain and was like okay maybe I'm a I'm a journalist so I did the school newspaper instead of art or never did music or any anything never took a theater class so yeah I was much more practically minded it's interesting because we tend to as a culture we take the words art and artist and creativity and we make them we put them into very small boxes oh cute tiny little we we all think like I did, like to be an artist, that means you have to go to art school and get a degree in art as if that is something we have to learn how to do. When in fact, I know now that we're all creative beings. We're not telling that story enough. And I'm really careful as a parent to, to just constantly like someone designed this paper towel, someone designed this plate that we're eating off of constantly in our um, conversations about around that creativity is not reserved for art students who go to art school who are born they know they have known all along that they are you know that they're creative right and creativity doesn't belong only to those people who obviously express it it's like you said you had a sister who was an artist and therefore like there was room in the family for one and I have a twin sister who's a painter and does mosaics and I came to the same conclusion very very early on she's the yeah. artist I'm not and yes yeah. yes she's the artist and for me I was all right she's the artist I'm going to be the academic I'm going to go to an academic school while she is doing her singing and making and jewelry making. And yes, it's so interesting, the stories we tell ourselves, right? That's right. Yeah, I was thinking about this recently of what's really interesting to me and what I've been giving some thought to is that we start these narratives 
and we start telling ourselves these stories unconsciously at like a really, 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 really young age when our brains aren't even fully developed. And then we move into adulthood with our fully developed brains and we're still holding on to an underdeveloped theory. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we feel like, or we look at our life and we say, hmm, something's missing. We don't know what it is, but we are unaware of the fact that way back when we decided way back when. Yeah. we're not creative beings. And yet here we are. This is what we're meant to do. We're, we're, we're creators. I mean, that's what human beings are. So right. when we shut that off, there's that sense of something's missing and we don't know why. I actually, that brings me to a question that I have for you because I heard you talk about how when you were in your mid-20s, your husband was diagnosed with melanoma, and I'll just say he's yeah. totally fine. So, yeah. And you shared that this process, this diagnosis, got both of you questioning things like, are we happy? Are we in love right. with our lives? Right. And what was interesting to me about that was what you said after that, which was both that those questions sent both of you into quite a bit of a depression Talk about that a little bit. Mm, yes. You know, we were very young. We had just been married for six months. I was, I think I was 25 and he was 26 and he was diagnosed with melanoma. It was a very scary time because this was, gosh, I mean, this was 15 years ago um, and melanoma treatment has come a long way since then. But we knew that anything after stage one was going to be devastating. John had his lymph nodes tested to see if the cancer had spread, and it took about a week to get these results back of if the if it had if the cell if cells were found in the lymph nodes. But luckily, the test came back that he was clear and that it was going it was stage one. We were so young and we just were married that we learned. Very early on, we got this lesson of like life is precious to not take each other for granted. My father died when I was young, when I was eight in a car accident over Christmas break. And so it was sort of like re-traumatized of this message again that was coming up for me of like live the life, create a life that you're in love with. And at the time, we were both working full-time jobs. We owned a house. We were going to Home Depot every weekend and we were living these like grown up lives while we in Portland, Oregon, while we were in our 20s when all we really wanted to do was have some fun and be young and less responsible. We are so responsible. It was such an awakening for us and what we ended up doing after things calmed down was we sold that house. We decided, you know what, this has been such a wake up call. Let's go and create the lives that we are longing for. And let's define what that is. And so we did, we sold our house and our cars, except for the one, our furniture, <laughs> we quit our jobs and we took them the profit from the selling of our home. And we left Portland and we went traveling in our car with our dog around the country for about a year, just exploring and loving life and being young and creating memories, but also really cultivating and discovering the kind of life we wanted to live. 
And it was on that trip, actually, that I discovered my love for making things. Not really painting, but more like just making things. I was so inspired. And it was such a freedom. We are seeking freedom is what we were seeking. And we found it and came back. And that experience ended up being a really true gift for us all these years later. And it was really, for me, the beginning of, I want to do something creative with my life. I don't want to do what we were doing before. I don't want to work a 40-hour-a-week job in social work that doesn't feel sustainable to my well-being and to my heart and just sort of go through the motions of life like Groundhog, like Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's amazing that you seize that. And like you said, your father died when you were eight. So this was really the second wake-up call for you in your 20s to say, wait a second, what are we doing? And most of us don't, if we get that, it's usually a lot later. So in that sense, it was really, it yeah, was, a, I've, yeah, I've, go I've, on. I've always had that early of the preciousness, especially because my father died so suddenly. And, you know, one day he was with us and the next day he wasn't. So I've always had this it's a blessing and a curse, I would say, because there's a lot of fear wrapped up in that that I had to untangle as I got older. But what has stayed with me and what has been the gift is there is no guarantee and to live well, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. a big piece of that for you was then stepping yeah. into creativity. And I, I know that yeah. you learned to paint at 30. And what I'm curious yeah. about that piece of it is, like you said, you hadn't been to art school and we have these definitions of artist. And even when we've been to art school, now I haven't either, but even for those of us who have been to art school, we still have the same voices, the ones that say like, oh, I, I'm not good enough or I don't have enough talent. And then here you are at 30 learning to paint on your own. So I'm imagining yeah. that you had voices saying things like, I don't have the background. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 30. Like, what am I thinking? <laughs> so how, how did you respond to them and keep learning? You to know, paint? for me, the, because I didn't go into my creativity as a business right away, I really was exploring. Essentially, it was so innocuous. I was making Christmas cards and decided to make really fancy Christmas cards from the there was this little stamping store down the street. So I was playing with like embossing powders and stamps. And they had a couple of examples in the store where people also embellished their cards with a little bit of paint. And, and then they had a book that kind of explains for those techniques. And so I bought this book. And this was 2005. So the internet was around. I actually had a little blog and at this time, but it was more about sharing my daily life with my friends and family around the country. But I didn't have a lot of access to creative learning. But this book just changed that for me. And before I knew it, I was like off and running and going to Michael's and buying like little craft paints and following the directions in this book. And what happened is, is that I just fell in love with this style of art called mixed media art because it was so messy and freeing. And I describe it as falling in love. It was like having a hot and heavy boyfriend. It's what I did all the time. I would go to my job, come home, put all my supplies on the dining room table, play, 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 play. 
I would, you know, wake up in the morning. It was the first thing I thought about. On the weekends, I was learning and creating and making stuff. My whole life changed. I went from being a person who was sort of like really uptight and anal and type A and couldn't stand having like dirty dishes in the sink to this person who was free. Like those things didn't bother me anymore. I was alive and happy and excited about something. I'd finally found a passion that I had wondered would ever exist for me. So that's, so, that's fascinating because there's, I had, yeah, go on. I had none of those like things about, I'm not an artist. I'm not this. I knew that I was new at this and I was following directions in a book. And I had a little bit of guidance in that way. And I wasn't, it wasn't like I was selling these things. None of that, like, who do you think you are narrative or you're not an artist. None of that happened for me until I went to start selling my stuff about a year and a half later is okay. when that popped in. So we'll get into that in a minute. I want to just touch on this piece of what feels like a switch was flipped within you That's when you started doing flipped. art where you showed up one way in the world and then you started doing art and you showed up totally yeah. differently. That is yeah. fascinating. It is fascinating because I was someone who really struggled with anxiety and depression. You probably wouldn't have known that if you met me. I was pretty happy-go-lucky, but I was searching for something that I could be in love with. I was living with someone, my husband, who had a very clear passion his passion was snowboarding and rock climbing and biking and surfing. And he is a very avid outdoorsman. And it lights him up. We would often have these conversations of like, I wonder what my thing is. I wonder what my passion is. I wonder if I'll ever like discover it. And then when it happened, it was that sensation of falling in love and just living high on life. And then very shortly after that, I took a week vacation from my day job and I signed up for this little artist camp called, it was called Art Fest and I called it Art Camp, this super rustic retreat. And I went by myself. I had no idea what I was doing. And I remember having these thoughts of like, what are you doing? Like you're going to an art retreat and who are you? And I remember sort of like having, like listening to the music in the car ride up to this little art retreat and just having tears stream down my face, like knowing that something important was going to happen and that I was on the right path. And I went to this art retreat. I didn't know a single soul, but the second I landed there, I felt like this overwhelming sense of belonging that these are my people. I'm here. I have found them. This is my community. I was off and running after that. I want to underline something here because there are so many books out there on finding your passion and walking through the steps and taking the courses and all of this to figure out who we are and what we're about and what we love. And what I hear you saying is it was paying attention. Like it wasn't filling out all the forms. It wasn't doing surveys. It wasn't taking courses. It was paying attention to, wait a minute, there's something here. And then just doing that yeah. and, yeah. and following, even though it's like, what I'm going to an art camp like, or art fest, you know, that's crazy, but it doesn't matter because you've, you followed it. 
and you found your people. You know what's really interesting is that on the canvas, we often talk about like just follow those creative urges you have on the canvas. If you have this like urge to put a giant mark of black paint on your painting, it might sound crazy, but do it. It's so important to follow those creative urges because it will then lead to the next decision that you're going to make in that painting and so forth. And the same is true in life. Like, I, it didn't make sense for me to go to this art retreat. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't an artist. But I said yes to that. And then that, you know, my life really opened up from that point forward into a deeper life of creativity. You know, what I found is creativity and business and being an entrepreneur and motherhood, all of it has been, for me, has been like a really beautiful playground for spiritual growth. And we all come to our spiritual growth in different ways. But for me, it started with following these creative urges along the path of making art, even though it didn't, quote unquote, make sense for me. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think it, 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 that's, that's how it all sort of happened and unfolded for me. I want to actually climb inside the word artist for a minute because you said, you know, I'm going to art camp, but I'm not an artist. And then I know when you first decided you had this realization, oh, I want to be an artist. And as a little kid, you're like, there's no room for another artist. I'm not an artist. What does that word mean to you now? What does it mean to be an artist uh, in your life? <sighs> more than anything, it means to craft and to create a life that I love and that belongs to me. You know, our, the word artist to me has expanded hugely from being a painter to being a pioneer of my life, simply embodying creative living and creative parenting and creative business owning and all of the above. I would have I wouldn't have come to that without declaring myself an artist first, but now I take a much more broad stroke with yeah. it. Yeah, and that's important because I know I have a quote from you actually where you said when I started <clears throat> when I started creating I was having this sense of feeling like I'm finally touching down into the root of something I never thought I could do. I always thought of artists as these abstract individuals who went to art school and were born with this talent and always knew they had it. And I just like to keep busting that wide open. So to hear you say that again, like, yes, yes, yes. I try to like tell this story as often as I can, because even in my community, most of my creative friends have known that they were artists from the time they were tiny. I hear that over and over again. I've always known I was an artist. I've always been creative. I've always, and I just, that has not been my experience at all. I came into it much, much later. And it's part of my work in the world of what I do now is it's important to me to, through my story and through my community of like, like opening up our lives to creativity for a lot of us that happens to come through the actual art of making something and then transferring all of all of those juicy lessons and thoughts that arrive for us when we're actually making a painting and then um, integrating that into the, the bigger scope of our life so on the canvas if I'm being called to like be bold and courageous and make bold moves 
how can I now do that in my life? How am I not doing that in my life? Where can I practice that in my actual life? I love uh, 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> this work of using art expression and how and integrating that into just living a more creative life, which doesn't have to mean that you're an artist. It's also very freeing in terms of it can be easy even if you call yourself an artist to then push yourself into this place of I'm a painter or I'm a writer yeah. or I'm a poet. Yeah. Or, and then you here you are saying like, okay, so I'm a painter, but how do I take what I'm doing when I'm painting out into my life? How do I make it bigger? Yeah, it's huge. That's everything. So then you said earlier, Kelly Ray, you said that those voices didn't show up until about a year and a half later when you started to sell yeah. your art. So tell me a little oh. bit about how those voices showed up and then how you responded at that point. Oh, and this is what I mean about we all have the thing that scares the crap out of us. And these are those moments. They are spiritual, transformative moments. And this was one of those for me of who do you think you are? Who are you to a year and a half into your creativity to think that? You can open it. You know, this was right when Etsy started. Etsy opened in 2005. And that is the year that I was discovering art. And then I went to my that art retreat that I talked about in the spring of 2006. And in the fall of 2006, the late fall is when I opened up my little Etsy shop. I had no idea what I was doing. Then I had all those gremlins of who do you think you are? But I had had this lesson by then of doing something that I never thought I could do, which was making art. And so I had this newfound confidence just to go for it. But I was incredibly naive and very, very green. So I had no idea of the sort of the mountain that I was climbing. I was just still in that phase of being in love and hot and heavy boyfriend <laughs> and opened up this little Etsy shop and started putting my original paintings and selling them. And people bought them. My first sale was from a woman who bought a painting and she lived in Australia. And then I had to like figure out how, how does one ship a painting to Australia? <laughs> and like, how much does that cost? It has been such a learning curve. And then when I started making some money, I really struggled with allowing in the abundance and that was another awakening. But what I found is that I had gone to that art camp and had made some really good friends. And now I had this community, right? And I had this sort of like sisterhood. And we were all just sort of traveling this journey together. And we were all having similar challenges and similar narratives. We would talk about them. And I also had a blog at that time. And I was talking about it and sort of sharing my experience of coming into my bigness and how weird that felt <laughs> <laughs> and how wobbly that felt but it was sort of like a coming of age a coming of becoming becoming a woman becoming an artist becoming strong and confident and just constantly doing things I didn't think I could do with the encouragement of this blog community that I found myself in at the time and that's important too that oh, as you're everything. Uh, yeah, and as you're stepping into your bigness, that it's wobbly. Like, 
And I, I mean, I'm wobbly all the time. So it's just like wobbliness is part of it. And we have this myth in our culture that I want to be confident. And then we're just going to be confident. Like that's just going to happen. We're going to just pretend until we're not pretending anymore. And there is some truth to that. But what I found at that time in my my life was that I had to 100% surround myself virtually and physically with people who were supportive because, you know, I was really confusing my family at the time. Like, what do you mean you're selling art and don't you need to make money and you're not going to make money? And there's a lot of like concern mm-hmm. <laughs> and confusion. But I, re- I had this like knowing that I've got to create a, a filter in my life where I'm just interacting and seeing other artists who are successfully doing this and allow them to be my mentors, even though they have no idea who I am. I was just watching them online and studying how they were doing marketing and admiring their ethos and just trying to um, emulate all the different pieces of what I liked of how other people were doing it. Because we need examples of what's possible. I knew that. And so I just was super tunnel visioned. I'm like, I'm just going to follow people and watch people that are doing it and they're making it possible. I'm going to surround myself with these folks. One thing I want to go back to is you started to say how during this period of selling your art, you also had to awaken to this idea of abundance. And there's that whole myth of the starving artist. And then there's the whole thing Uh about spirituality and money and how they don't go together. So talk to me a little bit about how you're just about your relationship with money and what that story looked like as it began to change. Oh, oh, yes. I mean, that is such a juicy topic. Well, I will say that I, you know, I have my master's in social work. And so when I went to college, I chose something that was quite practical and I knew that the only way that I could make a sort of decent living at social work was to get my master's. And so I did that because I wanted to be a medical social worker. And so I was a medical social worker and I looked in, I worked in hospitals and I made a pretty decent living in my 20s, modest, but it paid the bills and we had, I didn't have any debt except for student loans and stuff. So then as I was making this transition into art, there was a lot of fear in my family and even with my husband at the time of like, how are we going to make any money with you selling your art? And we made an agreement with each other that I would give it six months and then we would keep reevaluating every six months. How is this going? Is it doable? Can we survive? And then we just kept doing that every six months for probably four years. <laughs> then finally, I was like, okay, I think I think I can do this. But <laughs> I was so astonished that I was actually making any money that I was pretty happy. And my goal was just to be able to like live comfortably. But I did have this, I'm sort of struggling as I'm talking about this, because I'm trying to really accurately reflect and remember because this is it's been 10 years. But I remember having And the actual abundance for me came in the, like when someone would actually buy something that I made, that that was 
it was like a kind of profit and a kind of revenue that I could be so immensely proud of. And it felt really dirty when those thoughts started coming in of like that there was something wrong with making money from making art and that the message was that this should be really hard and that I'm not a true artist unless I'm starving. And I just slowly over time, like just didn't subscribe to that belief. Like it was as simple as like, I don't agree with that. And the people that I was seeing and the people that I admired were doing really well and making good money while also doing business responsibly and soulfully and heart centered in elevating sort of the vibration of the world with what they were doing. So I feel like that has been a journey of really accepting the abundance, but it has been a really important step in that step toward freedom. Well, a big thing that I hear is the turning points along this journey are when you keep coming back into your body, into your heart Mm -hmm. and say, Mm -hmm. when you said, Oh, I I sell a painting. I sell something I made so much pride around Mm -hmm. doing that. And that feels right in your heart. It feels right in your body. And then there's the stuff that you keep hearing in your mind, all the culture, all the values that we have and the stories that we've heard. And so it's really dropping over and over again out of that space and into the truth of what you right know. right and there I did receive some like oh you know later in my career of like oh you've sold out you've sold out you know you hear that sometimes in the community and I looked at that and I was like you know what that's actually it's not really true for me I made some decisions in my art path that has widened my audience But in my mission, my mission and my intention was really clear, which was to reach to reach people I wouldn't normally reach, like the mainstream mama and grandmother and people who wouldn't normally find themselves in my orbit or community. I want to reach people and help awaken and enliven and inspire. And so I did make some decisions that would help widen my base. And I was met with, you've sold out. So I think we have to examine, like, what is true for us? And as long as we're doing and making decisions that are aligned with our values and our beliefs, we're going to be okay. And so I just have slowly had to, like, process and firmly reject what doesn't, what isn't true for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Over and yeah. over again. I'm and hearing... over and over again. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm hearing you say again and again it's like this the one huge piece of your creativity and your creative journey is this questioning whether starting with you're in your 20s and you're saying Mm -hmm. oh my gosh are we in love with our lives are we happy Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. i'm painting and how can i bring this boldness out Mm -hmm. into my life to Mm -hmm. wait a minute people are telling me i'm i've sold out but uh, that doesn't feel true for me. Is that true? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that's a big piece of the creativity is this it willingness is. to examine and question. Yes. It's sort of excavating your life one morsel at a time and tuning in, I think, is something that I don't think we're doing enough of. And I try to practice and like just tune in. Like, does this feel good? Have I created something that feels good? And if not, how can I change this? 
part of my life or part of my routine or part of my creativity or part of my parenting or part of my marriage or like, does this feel joyful? I, you know, is it, is this, is this hard in a way that is promoting growth or is this hard in a way that's just because it's not a right, it's not right fit or something asking those questions. I'm curious if you have found with people that you're working with over the years with all the social media, with the internet, with everything changing the way that it's changing and, and the world speeding up, do you find that that it's different for people in trying to ask those questions, that um, finding a space mm, for those questions? Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Yeah. I mean, something I talk about, uh, that we talk a lot about in my courses is this idea of like silencing the noise because we were not getting quiet enough. I'm not getting quiet enough for me. <laughs> no, I think there we're in this culture of fast, 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 take a peek, take a peek, move on. But nowhere is it really um, encouraged on a regular daily basis and the filters that we go through that get quiet and to cultivate a life of quiet and to cultivate a life of, of tending to our like inner landscape. I yeah. had I'd heard you say, I, I, actually, I think you were writing about it, about standing tall in your truth. And you said, my truth always seems to circle back to this knowing I want a simple life. And yes. I'm thinking that that's a big piece of that. Yes, it really is. I have a, I'm sort of an enthusiast. <laughs> and so I have a, I have a tendency to sort of be in reactionary mode of jumping from one thing to the next or complicating my life and over this lesson just keeps coming over and over and over to me of slow it down like take your time stop overdoing it <laughs> you know? yes. um, and I, that is a practice that I've been working on for years because I, I used to get into really devastating burnout mode and then go into full-blown recovery mode and just was in the cycle of burnout recovery burnout recovery so my work has been really tending to living a creative life that is sustainable versus, and to me that means simple, like a simple creative life versus doing too much because with that creativity comes a lot of inspiration and with inspiration comes a lot of, for me, action to make things happen or do things or create things and produce things. Because um, my mind is always coming up with great ideas. It's been a big practice to me to not act on every single creative urge. Ah, there's so many places we could go and we're coming towards the end here. So I'm going to have to just rein in so yes. many things. But I, I do want to ask this, even though it's it's this question is not directly related to what we were talking about, which is, you had been asked for a six word memoir. This was a while ago that captures your life as an artist. And you said, mm -hmm. brave in sadness, brave in love. Yeah. And I wondered if that still resonates. And oh, if so, always. Yeah. Brave in sadness, brave in love. Yeah. You know, for me, my, my social work sensibility is it has been a really good marriage to my art and to my creativity and has brought me to this mantra of like brave and sadness, brave and love, which is like to really have courage to look at the places that are wounded and in ourselves and to also 
examine those and to mine them for the gold. And it takes a lot of courage and bravery to do that and to look at the hard stuff. And then the brave and love sort of comes from that abundance piece that we were talking about. Because I went through this period where I there was a little bit of shame in my success. I felt really weird saying, like, I wrote a book, I published a book, I'm selling art, I'm making money. And, you know, and so the brave and love for me was from a place of to own it, to like play, to be big and to not play small, that when we embrace our own successes, that we're giving other people permission to do the same. And brave and love for me also means celebrating all of my sisters who are living brave lives as well. So just this idea of really stepping into celebration mode and to celebrate everything that is born from a place of love so it can emanate and radiate and keep going out further and further. So yes, brave and love, brave, brave and sadness, brave and love still rings so true for me today. And I love that contrast of almost like the dark and the light, the brave and sadness being willing to go deep into those dark places, the courage to go into those dark places, but you don't need to stay there. You mine them, as you said, for the, the value, the gifts, everything that's to be gotten from there. And then the brave and love of owning who you are and owning all of that beauty and strength and bigness and putting that out. Yes, absolutely. And then my other six word memoir would be let art out, let love in. Because when we let it out, we are um, inviting so much abundance and love and joy into our life, but we've got to get it out. We have to like get this thing that lives inside of us expressed. Nice. That's great. Okay. So we're going to finish up here. I have two things I do at the end of every interview. Uh, Okay. Before that, I'll just say that for people who want to learn more about Kelly Ray's work, and there's a lot to learn. I mean, there's a lot of courses and all the way from like how you get dressed in joy to <laughs> a painting and there's and there's so many different places you can go with with Kelly's Kelly Ray's work and so to learn more about it, go to kellyrayroberts.com. And the last two things I do, so one of them, the first thing is gratitude. I like to express my gratitude to you. And for you Kelly Ray there's the things that come up are one, the willingness to keep examining, to keep questioning and encouraging that in, in those who pay attention to your work and to how you are to just keep looking at what's true for you and that you have done that. And because you did that, you now have this international community that's changing lives on a global level Mm, because you were willing to do that over and over and over again. That and the other thing I want to appreciate is when you talked about how questioning whether you sold out and saying no, because the people I want to reach, I want to reach the mom, I want to reach the grandma, I want to reach not the typical quote unquote artist, person who identifies Mm. as an artist and making that message more, making it bigger, making it more expansive, making it more inclusive. So thank you for for both of Mm. those things. Thank you. Yeah. Thank welcome. you so much. I've um, I've really enjoyed talking to you, and thank you for 
asking good questions and for diving in. Yes. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for going there with me. I have one last thing, which is okay. the creativity habit is about everyone being an artist, everyone being creative, everyone has something to make. Why do you think it's important to make your thing? Mm, I think it goes back to the let art out, let love in. I think when we, when we make our thing, and that could be, it's often way more simple than we think it is, um, but that it has like huge impact and implications for not just our life, but for the life of our families and those who are watching. I think about this all the time with my son, that I want to be the kind of adult that I'm asking him to become. And that means I have to get my creativity out so that he gets his creativity out, hopefully. Nice. That's yeah. great. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank Ray. you. Thank you, Daphne.